the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob Frantz. All right, good friends. Good morning to you. Thank you so much for starting your day with us on AM 1420. The answer. I'm assuming you started your day a little while ago with you, Hewitt. That's, of course, uh, assuming you have something to get up early for. But if you're just getting your day started with me, thank you. Appreciate you uh, for being with us. We've got a lot to talk about today. Big debate last night, debate number four. I did watch good portions of it, not all of it. Still very, very disappointed that the man who is at the center of it all is not uh, appearing at those. I think it's a very disrespectful sign uh, to, to the, to the uh, Republican voters uh, that President Trump was not on that stage once again. It wasn't too crowded like the previous ones. There's only a, only four people up there, so... Um, I really wish we could have seen him, but we did see a lot of stuff that we need to talk about, and we will do that today. Coming up on the program in about, uh, let's see, and I guess our, our first guest is in an hour. We're going to be talking with uh, Dr. Everett Piper. We've got the first full hour to ourselves to do some analysis of what's going on last night and what's going on also at the border. So uh, Dr. Everett Piper will join us at 1010. Uh, at 10.35, we're going to talk to Ohio State Senator Jerry Serino about the passage of Senate Bill 83, which is an extraordinarily important bill, uh, education bill. 
essentially trying to halt DEI from being mandated in uh, all of, uh, or from being allowed, really, uh, in uh, Ohio schools and universities. It's a big deal. It passed out of a committee yesterday, despite the fact that one, at least one Republican, voted uh, against it. A Republican who claimed to be a conservative, uh, but instead is one of the blue 22, just acting like, well, the Democrats that they sided with. We're going to talk about that uh, with Dr. or with, uh, excuse me, with uh, Jerry Serino, Senator Serino, coming up at 1035. And then at 11.10, the president of Americans for Tax Reform, Grover Norquist, will join us. So we've got three great guests lined up for you today, and obviously we always have room for you at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. So that's the way it's going to shake out today. I've got a lot to start with. Let's do our Pledge of Allegiance first, my friends. Please stand, face your flag, put your hand on your heart and join us. If you do not believe in the principles of liberty that were on the stage and were underscored last night by Republican candidates, even if they are not your favorite candidates and your favorite guy wasn't there. If you are a believer in the liberty that they all exemplified compared to the censorship and the heavy-handed tyranny that is being pushed upon us right now by the Democrat administration, well, then you don't have to fake your uh, you don't have to fake your support for the flag. If you don't believe in that liberty, then just go ahead and take a knee like the good little Marxist that you are. For those of us who believe in the glory of the United States of America, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm going to start the program not with the debate last night, actually, because I want to start it with what I was going to start yesterday's program with, and that is some very, very discouraging and disgusting news about the border. And the reality is that our southern border is more broken now than it was a month ago, it's more broken now. It was more broken a month ago than it was the month before that. And really, now in year three of the uh, Biden regime, or toward the end of year three of the Biden regime, uh, it's worse than it was when he took it over. And, we, and, and, and he made it bad in year one. It's just getting worse by the day, and there is no disputing that. The danger is, dare I say, existential. Is that is that going too far? The danger of our unchecked southern border literally threatens the existence, hence existential, of the United States of America, particularly as you know her. Here in Lukeville, we are quite literally in the middle of nowhere, two and a half hours to the closest major city. Thousands are crossing here illegally every day, and the situation is completely unsustainable. We'll step out, give you a look at the scene here. This is a mass of hundreds upon hundreds of people who have crossed the border illegally and are camped out here at the border wall, waiting to be apprehended by Border Patrol. You'll quickly notice these are all single adult men. There is not a single woman or child in this group you're looking at. And these guys are coming in from all over the world, large amounts of African men from Senegal, from Guinea, from Mauritania, from Egypt, others from the Middle East, others from Asia. This is Border Patrol's Tucson, Arizona sector, which just had 17,500 illegal crossings last week alone. That is the highest weekly total ever recorded. The highest weekly total ever recorded. 
we are watching the literal drip, 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 drip ending of the United States and the ending of her sovereignty. New records are being broken every day. And Joe Biden, meanwhile, continues to prioritize not securing that southern border. He continues to prioritize securing Ukraine's border against Extreme Russia. Extreme Republicans are playing chicken with our national security holding Ukraine's funding hostages or extreme partisan border policies. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a word that I typically wouldn't use on the radio here, but I don't really care at this point in time. This stupid senile son of a <clears throat> Biden literally said the exact inverse of what's reality. He said extreme Republicans are playing chicken with the national with national security holding Ukraine's funding hostage to their extreme partisan border policies. When the reality is that this senile son of a Biden is literally holding America's border policies hostage until he gets more money for the foreigners in Ukraine. What on earth are we watching? I mean, am I in a parallel universe? This blithering, and, and I give him credit, because if you're going to go, if you're going to be an idiot, you might as well go full-blown blithering. And he does. And he is. But less than 24 hours after 12,000 illegal immigrants the vast majority, as you heard in that report from Bill Malusian, single adult males, not families, not, not elderly people being oppressed or being persecuted in their home countries, not children, men, military age, which is also the same thing as gang member and cartel member age and trafficking member age and so forth, men. Flowing across the southern border on Tuesday, a new single-day record. And on the, one day later, how does Joe Biden respond to that? You know, we got to get money for Ukraine, and these, these Republicans are, are trying to make us address our border. Extreme Republicans are playing chicken with our national security, holding Ukraine's funding hostage to their extreme partisan border policies. He acts as if Ukraine funding is is something that is like a priority. Um, it, it it's like just a, a given. It's a hey, you know, we have money in our budget for Ukraine. You understand that we have to deliver to Ukraine, and they're holding that up to 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 talk about their border issues. I mean, you know, <laughs> where's their priority for crying out loud, right? The, the way he says that, they're holding up Ukraine's funding as if it's like a line item. In, in, in the American federal budget, you know, it, it's, it's incomprehensible to me, except for the fact that we know that Joe Biden is beholden to Ukraine and a host of other countries that got in bed with his crackhead son, Hunter, in order to enrich, to, in order to get access to the Obama White House with Vice President Joe Biden. And, uh, and, and to enrich the Biden family in the process. That's the literal only answer to this. It's the only explanation to why he can say, well, you know, they're holding up Ukraine's money. I've got to get Ukraine money because they've got the receipts on me. For crying out loud, we already know 
they have the rece- uh, that uh, they have the receipts on him, and now those receipts are actually becoming public. By on Ukraine and also China, uh, there's polling by the Associated Press that shows that almost 70 percent of Americans, including 40 percent of Democrats, believe that you acted either illegally or unethically in regards to your family's business interests. Can you explain to the Americans? Uh, to Americans submit this impeachment inquiry, why you interacted with so many of your son and brother's foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment that I did not, and it's just a bunch of lies. You didn't interact with many uh, of their lies. business associates? I did not. There's what? lies. The House Ways and Means Committee reported metadata from IRS whistleblowers Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler that reveal that Joe Biden used alias email accounts 327 times during a nine-year period as vice president and then even after Obama left office going into 2019. 327 times from 2010 to 2019, he used alias email accounts, meaning he's hiding his identity, to correspond with his son and one of his son's key business associates, Eric Schwerin, among others. The majority of the email traffic took place while he was vice president, but it did not stop afterwards, like I said, going into 2019 when Trump was in office. 54 of the emails were exclusively between Joe Biden and Eric Schwerin, the business associate, described by the committee as the architect of the Biden family shell companies. Are you following this? The email aliases used were RobinWare456, JRBWare, in other words, JRB, Joseph R. Biden, Ware, so the word beware, and Robert L. Peters. Earlier this year, House Oversight Committee James Coleman, uh, Comer excuse me, revealed the existence of his email aliases. Now... Through the Ways and Means Committee, they have actual evidence of the emails that were sent and to whom. And Joe Biden's only answer is, uh, lies, they're all lies, lies, I say. Well, what about this evidence? 327 emails. What about the actual physical receipts that prove what you were doing? Lies, just just leave me alone. And then he left the stage. This is... This is beyond impeachable. This is, this is, quite frankly, this is worthy of charges of treason. That's the reality of this. He was selling out access to American, the American presidency, his boss, Barack Obama, selling out access to the American presidency um, in exchange for millions of dollars to do favors for American, um, I won't know, I don't know if I necessarily would have to call them enemies, but nations that are not necessarily on friendly terms with the United States, competitive nations. At the very least, that's what you would call China. At the very least. They might be our biggest geopolitical foe, if you don't want to call them an enemy. They certainly are an economic uh, foe. So that, that crosses into the line of treason. And this guy now, is all he's worried about is getting money into Volodymyr Zelensky's hands. He doesn't care what happens at the southern border. He doesn't care about the fentanyl. He doesn't care about the gangs. He doesn't care about the cartels. He doesn't care about the uh, the human traffickers. He doesn't care about any of it. Get money to, to Zelensky. Why? 
because I am absolutely convinced that Zelensky and every other oligarch in Ukraine has the goods on Joe Biden and will verify everything that is already coming out by these extraordinary investigations done by the the, um, uh, House committees. And let me say this, super briefly before I get back into the border issue. This is why even the slim majority was so important. Do you remember in 2022 when we were all extremely disappointed one year ago when the red wave did not materialize? And we only got a five-seat majority instead of you know what should have been a 50-seat majority. It did not materialize for a lot of reasons, a lot of really bad reasons, quite frankly. But we, everybody was, was livid, and I told everybody, chill just a little bit. Because it only takes the majority, even a simple majority, to get control, the chairmanship of the, the most important investigative committees, the Judiciary, the Oversight Committee, and in this case, the Ways and Means Committee. And we can start to dig and find out all of the dirt um, on the Bidens and on the Democrats that want to take this country apart so that we can get them out of power and restore the United States to balance. That's all it took. And this has not been a big, busy legislative session, this Congress, for uh, a lot of legislation. They're not passing a ton of bills, but it is exactly what we needed it to be, and that is an investigative nightmare for the Democrats and for the Biden family a family of crime. And that is what's what's being exposed right now. So it is extraordinarily important. Now, back to the border that Joe Biden is willing to sell out in order to get more money for Ukraine. He doesn't care. He does not care about the southern border. He calls it extreme partisan border policies. Let me tell you who loves Joe Biden's border policies. The answer is the illegal aliens. I love you, Joe Biden. Thank you for everything, Joe Biden. I'm a good person. I want to be a good person here in the United States. I came here because I want quality life. You know, America is a, la- is a land of opportunity. Wait a minute. I love- Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Military age fighting men, one brown, one black. First of all, why would you want to come to this racist country? Didn't Joe Biden tell you this is a systemically racist country? Doesn't Kamala Harris, doesn't Cori Bush, doesn't AOC, don't they all tell you this every single day? The United States is a systemically racist country that does not have room for or like or support or give opportunities to black and brown people. We, Why would you want to come to this land of opportunity as you described it? That's number one. Number two. I thought you guys were all here screaming that you had asylum claims because you're being persecuted in your home countries. This doesn't sound like people are saying, I'm being persecuted, I'm in fear for my life, I need I needed to flee. It sounds like people who just said, no, I want to come to the United States, like so many other people around the world, who don't violate our laws by breaking into the country and making phony asylum claims like you just did. There are a lot of people who realize America is the land of opportunity. But they have to apply for visas to come to the United States, green cards. They have to do it legally. You guys just broke the law, and now you also, by talking to the cameras and not saying, I'm in fear for my life, I'm here seeking asylum from persecution in my home country, now you're just telling the truth. Joe Biden rolled out the red gosh dang carpet, and you walked on it. I love you, Joe Biden. Thank you for everything, Joe Biden. I'm a good person. I want to be a good person here in the United States. I'm sure you do. But that's not why you're supposed to be here. 
When you lie to the first immigration official you see and say, uh, asylum, I need asylum, because that's what you've been told to say by the demonic Democrats who are destroying this country and surrendering its sovereignty, you will be committing a, 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 a law, a, via, a federal a violation of law. When you lie and, and make your phony asylum claim. What about this other guy? What about the African guy? I came here because I want quality life. You know, America is a, is a land of opportunity. Well, first of all, again, don't talk to American Democrats about that. Don't talk to black Democrats about that because they will tell you there's no opportunity here for us. It's a systemically racist country beating us down every step of the way. But that's number. But like I said, that was number one. Number two is you didn't say I'm here because I, I, I'm in fear for my life in my home country. I mean, the, the curtain is being pulled back on all of these people, and the Democrats absolutely do not care. They do not care. As a matter of fact, this is what they want. Alejandro Mayorkas is supportive of all of this. It's the reason why he's declared just a few days ago he wants a full-on amnesty, a full-on amnesty for the 12 million that are already here. And we all know that number is closer to 25 million, thanks to Biden's uh, policies. But he wants uh, he wants to give uh, amnesty to all of them. But let's let's get to the root mm-hmm. of what Governor Pritzker's uh, challenge is: is that we have another governor in another state that is not cooperating and coordinating with either federal or other local authorities, and is unilaterally sending migrants to cities uh, in uh, what I think is an abdication of governance response. <laughs> The Secretary of Homeland Security was responding to Governor J.B. Pritzker of uh, Illinois, whose biggest city, Chicago, is home to just an extraordinary amount of illegal aliens because Governor Greg Abbott is saying, we can't handle them all in Texas. This is a you problem, sanctuary city boy. You take them. And he's sending them up there. And Mayorkas' response isn't, yeah, we've got to get them out of the country. It's, no, Governor Greg Abbott, you need to keep them. You're being irresponsible. What do you, why? Why should Greg Abbott keep them and J.B. Pritzker, the, the uh, left-wing governor of, of Illinois, whose biggest city is a sanctuary city, why shouldn't, he, why shouldn't they take them? It, they, they simply do not care. I have so much material here that needs to be shared with you. We are going to break into the um, uh, debate last night as well. Governor Ron DeSantis uh, had another phenomenal performance. Chris Christie was clownish. Did make some good points about Trump not being there, but but he's just a clown. Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, I think, is probably going to have to change his name to Vivek Ramaswamy with some of the some of the uh, lines that he did and some of the uh, stunts that he pulled on stage. And Nikki Haley, I think, uh, proved that. She- Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always right radio with Bob France on the Answer. Okay, nine thirty six. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. It is Always Right Radio. Last night, eh, things weren't always right. There were some fireworks last night at the uh, fourth and final debate of 2023. I don't know if they're going to have any more after the first of the year or not. I don't know if Donald Trump is ever going to grace the voters with his presence in these things. I really, 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 really hope that he does. Um, It's it's getting tiresome to me. To watch these debates, or or at least glance at them a little bit, knowing that the central figure there, the guy with the sixty percent uh, lead, or, or or forty or fifty points, he's got sixty, they've got ten or twelve or fourteen or whatever. 
uh, that he's not there. And then two days later, he's on a solo interview with a, you know, a love festival with Sean Hannity. Um, I want to hear from my former president, and I want to hear him answer some of the very important things that have changed since he left, left office. This is key. This is absolutely key. President Trump left office, you know, now uh, three years ago. And things have changed in this country, a lot of things for the worst. And a lot of things have gotten a lot better in other places like Florida where DeSantis is, and he should, she, she, he should talk about that. Any lessons from that? Anything you'll do differently? I mean, last night was a, it was an important moment as, as Ron DeSantis stood out again from the crowd. Uh, again, Vivek Ramasmarmi, and I, I don't mean to be, you know, I feel like I'm being President Trump here by <clears throat> changing names and nicknames, but his, um, you know, his holier-than-thou kind of, uh, uh, you know, and smarter-than-thou, smarter-than-everybody-else-in-the-room thing kind of came out on stage again. It bought, brought more booze from the crowd. Vivek is extremely smart, by the way, extremely smart. And I can't wait to sit down with him and have another long conversation with him. But um, he's, he's drawing booze at these debates because he is... Um, uh, because he is always trying to show his intellect over everybody else's, and it gets to be a little bit, um, I don't know. Like I said, it's just off-putting for some. As a matter of fact, Crispy, I mean, Chris Christie um, took took him to the woodshed over that. This was actually one of the funnier moments of the debate last night. Let me tell you something. That's no That's reasonable. Not my deal. That's that, not my deal. Yes, Chris. it's exactly what I'll, you said. I'll describe you my do deal this too. at every debate. I'll just, I'll tell you, you exactly say what no, I'm no, not don't interrupt I'll me. I didn't interrupt you. Okay, you say Tell this. You, you do this. And, you do go this at every debate. You go out on the stump and you say something. All of us see it on video. We confront you out on the debate stage. You say you didn't say it, and then you back away. And I want to say exactly what, no, what I said. Chris. I, I'm not I done yet. Well, this now is now. Look, this is, and now this is not a Chris Christie looks like dad, and he is scolding his son. He is scolding his son who refuses to stop talking and don't talk back to me. I'm not. I, mean, I was waiting for him to take off his belt and say, you're going to get it. I mean, he is scolding him. He's turning him, facing him, and pointing his finger directly at him as Vivek continues to fight back. And by the way, I can't stand Rhino Chris, Chris Christie. Not at all. But this was a really, really strong moment. This is the fourth debate. The fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So <laughs> shut up for a little while. I'm going to respond to that. I want to say your version of that. I'm going to respond to that. I'm going to respond to that. I want to say something else. We're now 25 minutes into this debate, and he has insulted Nikki Haley's basic intelligence, not her positions. Her basic intelligence. She doesn't know regions. She wouldn't be able to find something on a map that his three-year-old could find. Look, if you want to disagree on issues, that's fine. And Nikki and I disagree on some issues. But I'll tell you this, I've known her for 12 years, which is longer than he's even started to vote in a Republican primary. All right. So Chris Christie just, you know, is stripping the bark off of Vivek Ramaswamy there again for smarmy kind of, you know, uh, I'm smarter than everybody else in the room type of uh, uh, types of responses. Um, but it's not playing well. It's not playing well. Audiences are booing the leadership him. of this party and criticize Nikki for her corrupt foreign dealings as a military contractor. She said that I have a woman problem. Nikki, I don't have a woman problem. You have a corruption problem. And I think that that's what people need to know. Nikki is corrupt. This is a woman who will send your kids to die so she can buy a bigger house. 
This is the problem. He's holding up a notebook where he wrote in big capital letters, Nikki equals corrupt. And the in the audience, some of them are laughing and cheering it, and some of them are booing the use of the uh, visual aid. If Using you identity politics more effectively than Kamala Harris is a form of intellectual fraud. And it actually needs to end. There's our donor puppet master. Now he compares her to Kamala Harris which draws more boos from the crowd. This is not going to go well for him, and it's actually probably supporting and helping her because Ramaswamy has a way of of taking down some of his opponents in ways that make the opponents look um, like they're being mistreated. Like Chris Christie just said, you're not disagreeing with positions, you're insulting her intelligence. Um, he has a way of, of, I think, turning his opponents into victims of his attacks that are not, that's, that's you know, it's it's not going to be successful. ...wielding their puppet right up here tonight. This is how this game is played. The puppet masters put up their puppet, and I reject the use of identity politics in this party. It has been a cancer coming from the left, and I'm sick and tired of the double standards the people of this country are too. Having two X chromosomes does not immunize okay, you from thank criticism. You. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Governor Haley, would you like to respond? There was a there was another um, moment where Vivek Ramaswamy was asked a very, very direct, pointed question about Donald Trump, and he spent 90 seconds not talking about Donald Trump. Why? And I've said this before, too. Vivek Ramaswamy is not running for president. He's one of the final five from the field, but he's not actually running for president. If you were running for president, what would you do? You would criticize the guy who's in the lead. Or if not criticize him, not insult him, but say, hey, here's the difference between me and Donald Trump. Here's something that I think I'm better at than Donald Trump. If you're going to try to close a massive gap, you better start pointing to some things that are different. He will not criticize Donald Trump, not once. That's because he wants to be VP or he wants a uh, maybe chief of staff or some pl- uh, plum cabinet position that will set him up to be uh, a leading candidate, if not the leading candidate, in four years in 2028. Vivek Ramaswamy, to me, is not a serious presidential candidate. And I can't wait. Again, I've been in talk talks with his people to get him on this program, to get him back, on, which I've had, on, on, had him on a podcast before, uh, to get him on Strictly Speaking on True Blue, anywhere that I can get him, because I want to talk about this. He will not criticize or or challenge Donald Trump for anything, which, by the way, Christie once again had a moment where I thought it was impressive because he pointed out that, you know, uh, Donald Trump not being there is something that has to be discussed. Well, look, Megan, um, it's often very difficult to be the only person on the stage who's telling the truth and the only person who is taking on what needs to be taken on. I look at my watch now. We're 17 minutes into this debate, and except for your little speech in the beginning, we've had these three acting as if the race is between the four of us. The fifth guy, who doesn't have the guts to show up and stand here, he's the one who, as you just put it, is way ahead in the polls. And yet, I've got these three guys who are all seemingly to compete um, with you know, Voldemort, he or shall not be named. They don't want to talk about it. The, the fact is that when you go and you say the truth about somebody who is a dictator, a bully, who has taken shots at everybody, whether they've given him great service or not over time, who dares to disagree with him, then I understand why the these three are timid to say anything about it. 
All right. Um, first of all, Christie's an idiot. He's right about not saying it. Nobody else will say anything about Donald Trump except for DeSantis. DeSantis will take on Trump because DeSantis is the biggest threat to Trump, and he actually is trying to close the gap. Nikki Haley won't criticize Trump. Uh, obviously, Vivek won't criticize Trump. Christie does goes overboard with criti- criticizing Trump. But his point about not being willing to take him on is an important one. If you want to catch the winner, or the leader, I should say, who is the, the almost certain winner, you've got to go after him. And none of the rest of them will. But for him to call him a dictator is another story. For him to call him a dictator plays right. It's funny. They were talking about taking the uh, Vivek was talking about Nikki Haley playing identity politics and using the language of the left. This is Chris Christie using the language of the left by trying to call Donald Trump a dictator. Look, Donald Trump was in office for four years. He did exactly 0.0 things that would be reminiscent of a dictator. Joe Biden has been in office for three years. He is acting like a dictator every single day. I've got a headline story in front of me right now. Biden just forgave another four, four and a half billion or something. Let me see if I can find the number here. Four and a half billion dollars in student student loan debt. Another four and a half billion dollars, I think it was. And, And the Supreme Court told him just this past summer, you can't do the debt forgiveness. It's not constitutional. People who've borrowed this money have to pay the money back, etc., etc. All he's been doing ever since then is finding ways to be a dictator. Seriously, that's literally because he's ignoring them and saying, I'm waving my scepter and I'm doing it anyway. It's happening on an almost daily basis. So, you know, there, there, is no, there is no concern about somebody being a dictator other than Joe Biden, and there's Chris Christie calling Trump one. Is Trump a bully? Yeah, that's part of his success. He bullies people, and he bullies his opponents and so forth. That's fine. Use that language. But to use the language of the left and calling him a dictator is just ridiculous. Now, of course, President Trump, in being funny, and that's all this was in his town hall with Hannity, of course, invited some of this by saying, yeah, I'll be a dictator on day one. We almost have to go to a break. I want to go back to this one issue, though, because the media has been focused on this and attacking you under no circumstances. You are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except what? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border. And I want to drill. That's drill, not a, that's, drill. That's not. Oh, no. That's not retribution. I got. I'm going to be. I'm going to be. You know, he keeps. <laughs> we love this guy. He says, "You're not going to be a dictator, are you?" I said, "No, no, no. Other than day one, we're closing the border, and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator." So that, okay? that, that sounds to me like you're going back to the policies <laughs> when you were president. That's All right, exactly. take a break. Just getting started. So there's nothing wrong with that, what Donald Trump said except for the fact that he gave the left their talking points. And over the course of the last 48 hours, that's all you've heard is, Trump said he wants to be a dictator. He said he's going to be a dictator on day one. They take the uh, context out of it. They won't say what he he actually said was that I'm going to close the border and then order, you know, the, the opening of America's energy production again. Drill, 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 frack, 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 mine, 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 and start the the, uh, pipelines again. You know, uh, those are executive orders. And for anybody, you know, an executive order that is constitutional is not being a dictator. An executive order that is unconstitutional, which the Supreme Court has determined what Biden is doing, 
by these executive orders. That is dictatorial. That is tyrannical. Trump is not that. Trump was never that. For four years, everybody said he's going to be Hitler. For four years, everybody said he's going to be Stalin. For four years, everybody said he's going to be a dictatorial tyrant, an authoritarian. He was the furthest thing from that. Did he use executive orders? Sure. Yes, he did. But not to the extent that Joe Biden has, and not, again, when told, same thing that Obama did, when told by the Supreme Court, you can't do that, and they did it anyway. Trump isn't guilty of that. But what he did here is say, you know, again, in a joking manner, said, I'm not going to be a dictator except on day one. And now MSNBC just overflowing, CNN overflowing, Trump admits dictatorial thoughts. Trump admits going to be a dictator on day one, and they're using it to hammer him. So, you know, Chris Christie playing into that, by the way, way, calling him a a dictator is is foolish and stupid, and people need to understand what Trump said. It is not a dictator to say, I'm going to close the border. That means I'm going to enforce American federal law, and I'm going to enforce and reestablish American sovereignty, because a nation without borders is not a nation. Trump is one billion percent right about that. Now, you could argue and complain that, you know, you were supposed to close the border the first time around. And while you did a lot of good things on the border, you didn't build the wall. You didn't get it. You know, you built uh, some miles of it, but not anywhere near enough, because look at what's happening. And uh, you said you could. And you had two years of a Republican majority House and a Republican majority Senate to do it. And you couldn't get them to fund it. So that's a that's a fail. But but his intent is accurate, and it's right, and it's exactly what it should be, to close the border that is not dictatorial. Now, Ron DeSantis last night. Ron DeSantis was asked directly about whether or not uh, uh, Donald Trump, like Joe Biden, is too old to be president, and whether or not he has the mental faculties to be president, or whether he will if he becomes president again uh, in uh, in a year's time. And, uh, uh, you know, of course, we'll be in his 80s during his, his second and final term if he gets it. Here's what DeSantis said. Father time is undefeated. The idea that we're going to put someone up there that's almost 80 and there's going to be no effects from that, we all know that that's not true. Uh, And so we have an opportunity to do a next generation of leaders and really be able to move move this country forward. We also need a president that can serve two terms. Uh, I don't think Donald Trump, I think he's going to have, I don't think he'd be able to get elected. The Democrats want him to be the nominee. We see that. They are going to turn the screws the minute if he got the nomination, you're going to see it. I think we need to have somebody younger. I think when you get up to 80, I don't think it's a job for that. But let me just respond to some of the things there. Look, uh, the media is making a big deal about what he said about some of these comments. I would just remind people uh, that is not how he governed. He didn't even fire Dr. Fauci. He didn't fire Christopher Wray. He didn't clean up the swamp. He said he was going to drain it. He did not drain it. He said he was going to build the wall and have Mexico pay for it. We don't have the wall. Uh, he did say in 2016 he'd have the largest deportation program in history. He deported less than Barack Obama did when Barack Obama was president. So some of the some of these policies he ran on in 16. I was cheering him on then, but he didn't deliver it. Here's what I can promise people. 100% of the things I promised as governor, I delivered on those promises. I beat the left time and time again, and that's what I'll do for you as president. we got to start winning again as a party. Yes, win the election, but we've got to start getting these issues. I will go in and wreak havoc on this bureaucracy. You will see people fired, and we are going to bring a reckoning for how this government Here's handled COVID-19. So very, very, very strong statements by Ron DeSantis in defense of his own record, but also challenging Donald Trump, which is something that Nikki Haley won't do, something that Vivek Ramaswamy won't do. 
It's like they're all just battling for a spot somewhere uh, underneath Donald Trump. Only one guy on that stage, actually two guys on that stage, want to challenge Donald Trump. One is Ron DeSantis, the other is Chris Christie. They're different. Uh, their differences are night and day. One is an accomplished, achieve, achieving guy who is a strong second-place guy. The other one is, is down at 1%. Um, <clears throat> but the reality is Ron DeSantis criticized Donald Trump not personally, and when asked to say, is he mentally fit or not, he said, well, we need somebody younger. You know, he's going to be 80. Uh, he's almost 80 now. He's going to be 80 in his 80s when he's, if, he, if he wins again. And there's going to be some, some serious effects from that. That is answering it without being a jerk and being personal in attacking him and saying, no, I don't think he's fit. I think he's mentally unfit, trying to equate Donald Trump to Joe Biden in that regard. He was being polite while then criticizing Donald Trump's policies, his record, his achievement. Now, compare that to Chris Christie, who came in here now after that and said Ron DeSantis didn't answer the question, which is which is hogwash. Look, father time is undefeated. I don't know how he would score on a, on a test, but I know this. We have an opportunity to nominate someone and elect someone for two terms who's going to be spitting nails on day one and for eight years so deliver you, you big fit. result. You we should think. not nominate somebody he won't who's, answer. Who's, who's almost 80 years old. Okay. He's afraid to answer. No, I'm not. He's, no, you have to. No. Either, either you're afraid or you're not listening. No, it's not. There's a simple you question. Hear the answer. Is he fit? Is he fit? Hey, hey, no, they can hear this. No one can hear you. They can't hear you. You finish, and then you get it back. All right. You know, look. I'm a simple guy, okay? I hear the question, and I answer it. Is he fit or isn't he? I'll concede you're fit, Ron. You're a new generation. You're 44 years old. I wish I was still 44 years old, okay? 45. So, well, congratulations. I'd still take 45. Is he fit or isn't he? And this is the problem with my three colleagues. They're afraid to offend. And See, let I me wanna, tell you I wanna, something. I if you're afraid, if you're afraid to offend Donald Trump, then what are you going to do when you sit across from President Xi, you sit across from the Ayatollah, you sit across from Putin? You have to be willing to offend with the truth okay. and answer the question. See, that's the problem with Christie because he doesn't he doesn't understand. Ron DeSantis wasn't afraid to offend Donald Trump. Ron DeSantis didn't feel the need to offend Donald Trump to answer the question, which is he's too old. He said it. He said he's going to be in his 80s and we need somebody who's younger. That's a the gentle way of saying, no, he's not going to be uh, at his optimal peak mental fitness level at that age because look at Joe Biden. DeSantis didn't want to be a jerk about it. He answered it without being a jerk. Chris Christie is saying, no, I want you to be a jerk. Be a jerk about it. If you're afraid to offend him, blah, 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 blah. It's why Chris Christie is nowhere in the polls. It's why he's got 1%. Maybe 1.5%. I don't know. Ron DeSantis is the right guy. Ron DeSantis answered the question, and he's the only one who's actually up there willing to criticize Donald Trump, not on a personal level, not attacking him, but attacking policy. Attacking record, attacking things that need to be answered. And by the way, all of the things that he listed in his answer, I would love for President Trump to have been on the um, stage last night to answer some of those, to talk about the wall, to talk about why the funding wasn't there, why Mexico didn't pay for it, to answer questions about why he didn't fire Fauci. All of these things were fair game, and I would love to have seen him there. All right. That's debate analysis for the morning after. 
Uh, we're going to take a break here at the top of the hour. We're going to come back. We're going to talk to Dr. Everett Piper, as we do each and every uh, Wednesday, battling, or excuse me, Thursday, battling the culture wars. A little bit later on, we're going to talk to uh, Senator Jerry Serino. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, hour number two is underway. It is eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Thank you so much for being with us on this Thursday, the seventh morning of the 12th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Uh, We should go no further without, of course, commemorating a couple of things. Number one, for our Jewish friends, today is the first day of Hanukkah, so I want to wish everyone a very blessed start to that uh, very important season. And also today, of course, being the day that shall live in infamy, or the date that shall live in infamy, it is Pearl Harbor Day. It is the day we were uh, brought into World War II uh, against our will. Uh, It shook America awake. It was uh, quite amazing, actually, if we look back historically at the fact that we were not involved with or engaged in in the European theater, and it took the attack from the Pacific to uh, shake us out of our slumber, if you will, and launch us into the war in uh, in the two theaters at the same time. Uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor, of course, is like 9-11 for that generation back then, something that will never be forgotten. But for those who are, um, you know, of our age and certainly the younger, I'm a Gen Xer. For those who are in the Gen, the millennial or Gen Z populations, they have no earthly idea what the impact of Pearl Harbor was. So all I would do is ask you to do a little bit of research. When I was that age, I would have to go to the Encyclopedia Britannica to do a little research on Pearl Harbor and what happened. We didn't have Internet. We didn't have uh, all of this information accessible at our fingertips. You do. Take advantage of it. Study so that when, um, when, the, day, when uh, the president called it a day that, date that she'll live in infamy, it does indeed do so. Don't let this uh, memory, even if you don't have it firsthand, don't let the memory of it slip away. So that's how we begin hour number two. We also begin it by welcoming Dr. Everett Piper to our program. Dr. Piper is a former university president. He is a best-selling author. He is a columnist for the Washington Times, writes two columns per week, one called Ask Dr. E, a bit of an advice column. And uh, he is a uh, host of The Rebellion, a podcast radio show that originates in his native Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Bob. What do you say we start our conversation today with, I don't know, a little relaxation, a little musical uh, introduction? I don't know why it started in the middle of the song. Let's start it over here. Hold on. (laughs) Kids are overdosing on the fentanyl. The door is wide open at the boardwalk. DC's busy selling out us all. Unless it's Ukraine, they ain't taking calls. Politicians holding for the war machine. Laundering money in the name of peace. Dressing up Zelensky in army green. Marching us right off into World War Three. How dare you dare to mention? Question 
I was last night old when I first heard of Tennessee Jet and the song Two Plus Two. Tennessee Jet was introduced to me by one Dr. Everett Piper. And uh, as you told me last night, Dr. Piper, you're a bit of a fan, are you? Well, I'm a new fan. Uh, Tennessee Jet <laughs> is a young man from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma area. And that's his new song, Two Plus Two. Obviously, he's taking on the woke culture, uh, ranging from the Washington, D.C. warmongering to the educational establishment to uh, big corporations trying to tell us how to live our lives. If you go through each verse, and I would encourage people to do it, this kid is fearless. Well, the, more, or the, the rest of the story down here is even though he's a Tulsa native and he was scheduled to perform at a major venue in Tulsa, he got canceled. Just last week, he got canceled from that venue. Why? Because one of the stanzas in this song, he takes on the transgender lunacy. And to quote him, the butchering of our children. He comes out and he nails it. He says, we're butchering our children. That we act like two plus two is five when it even comes to defining what it means to be male or female in the minds of our own progeny, our own boys and girls. And he calls us out for doing that as part of his song. Well, this venue canceled him as being transphobic, uh, anti-LGBTQIA, when he put that song out. Well, he's not backing down. The kid has a spine. He has courage. He's not backing down. Another venue in Tulsa, Oklahoma, called the Pearl, excuse me, the Blackbird on Pearl Street has picked him up, and he's going to be performing on December 22nd. If anybody's listening that's going to be in that area, Buy a ticket, buy 10 tickets, and sell this place out in Tulsa, Oklahoma for Tennessee Jet. Good for him. All right, two things in response. One, why is a Tulsa guy uh, a Tennessee Jet and not a Tulsa Jet? Uh, That's number one. (laughs) Number two, uh, I'll tell you what, Dr. Piper, I may buy a couple of tickets myself. And I will go online and say who in Tulsa, Oklahoma would like a a pair of free tickets. There you go. Because we have to support, we have to support people with courage like this with the spine as you say a backbone who are willing to take on the woke cancel culture um we have to support them in every way we can this is the kind of thing that should go viral i'm so glad you introduced this to me i will play it on the radio i will play it on my uh my television program play everywhere i can i'll post it on social media and do everything i can because there aren't enough people willing to stand up to uh the bullies uh you know in the lgbtq community or any of the other uh you know uh, uh left-wing identity political uh partisan communities that try to uh, shut down people like him which means they're trying to shut down people like you and people like me dr piper absolutely i mean it's kind of the riley Gaines factor if you will riley Gaines won't back down good for her she should be woman of the year she's taking on the misogyny of the left and she's calling it exactly that even in her congressional testimony this last week she took on whatever her name was that member of the squad who started trying to accuse her of being transphobic riley Gaines shot back and said excuse me if i'm transphobic then how is it that you're not a misogynist and then the congresswoman tried to get that got get yeah. that comment from Gaines stricken from the record. Again, more censorship, more canceling. We can't even allow Riley Gaines, a real woman, to say what she wants to say. Well, good for Riley Gaines. She is uh, she's got a, 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 like I said, spine. She's got a backbone. She has courage. And maybe that is this part of the program today. All of the rest of us need to support these spokespersons that are putting their careers on the line. And this young man in his twenties, Tennessee Jet is is putting his career on the line because he believes something he's not gonna he's not gonna soften the message just because somebody doesn't like it because 
what he's saying is right and true. Two plus two is four. It's not five. A male is a male. A female is a female. We should stop butchering our children. That's all he's saying. And the left wants to cancel him. It's more of this, I can't tolerate your intolerance, and I hate hateful people. I'm sure nothing is sure. I know nothing can be known, and I'm absolutely confident there are no absolutes. This is the lunacy of the left. There are a few young people that are challenging it, and we need to support them. I love when you do that. Uh, I love that that little uh, uh, montage of, uh, of, of uh, uh, insanity. Dr. Piper, um, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm going to encourage other people to do this, too. Can you tell me where people would be able to find, and maybe you don't know, we'll just have to Google it up or don't Google, search it out with some other search, search engine, uh, um, Tennessee Jet. But yeah. uh, any idea where people can buy those tickets if somebody here in Ohio wants to join me in buying a couple of tickets and giving them away to somebody in Tulsa? Yes. Um, I reached out to him. He and I have been texting back and forth. I'm going to interview him today and um, uh, potentially write my column about him uh, for the Washington Times this week. I need, I need to decide. But anyway, he gave me a link to where to buy tickets. I can't cite that. I'll tell you what, right after the show, show, yeah, after the show rather than disconnect, I'll have you talk to Chris, who's answering our phones today, and um, give him two things. Give him the link or tell him how I can access the link, and I'll, uh, I'll post it and share it. And then secondly, I'm going to ask you for the phone number because I'm going to want to interview him next. <laughs> we want to good, get him on the deal. air here in, here in Ohio as well so we can get some more support for him. Dr. Piper, before we get into um, a little bit of your uh, work this week in the Washington Times, um, last night the uh, arrows were flying back and forth. By far the most personal and contentious debate of the four held among those willing to debate in the Republican primary. Uh, uh, Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy absolutely hate one another. They are very competitive with one another when it comes to DeSantis and uh, and uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, and Chris Christie, of course, is just up there, I think, for comic relief, other than he's the only one who is willing to uh, chastise Trump for not showing up to these debates. But it was very personal last night. Don't know if it's moving the needle for any of them, but any thoughts on what happened last night? Well, uh, I'll show my cards. I already have before on your show. I, I really respect and admire what Ron DeSantis has done as a governor and a leader for the state of Florida. I'm a fan. Uh, I wish he were pulling better right now. I wish it were competitive between him and Donald Trump, but it's not. So with that said, I think Ron DeSantis demonstrated that he has accomplished some very good things in Florida. I think he beat uh, Gavin Newsom in the debate that he had with him on Sh- on Sean Hannity's show earlier. What was it, just this week or last week, yeah, whenever uh, yeah, it was? Yeah, at the end of last week. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's had two debates right now where I think he has prevailed and showed himself to be a successful leader. Um, Nikki Haley was, an, uh, was a good ambassador to the United Nations. I think she sh- served our nation well, and she was a good governor. Um, Ramaswamy, I think he's a precocious, excuse me, precocious, college student he annoys me he's interrupting people constantly he's bright he's articulate but he needs to shut up and i just i i have no fondness for ramaswamy and frankly he has a history of some pretty leftist associations in his in his resume and i'm i haven't heard him explain those yet he's been part of the world economic forum and all that kind of stuff well what happened where's the conversion or are you just a wolf in sheep's clothing that happens to be articulate and young i don't know and as far as Christie, I think he's a buffoon, and he's he's almost as annoying as Ramaswamy. But at least he's a little older and has earned his stripes. 
Yeah, they went after one another pretty hard last night. Christie actually said of uh, Ramaswamy, you are proving in the first 20 minutes of every debate that you're the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So based on what you just said, you might agree with Chris Christie on that one. But um, To some extent. Uh, yeah, but he was, uh, it, was, it was entertaining last night. Again, whether it moves the needle or not in the chase uh, to try to catch up to Trump. And here's the last thing on this. Ramaswamy will never, even last night when asked pointedly to do so, will not criticize or challenge Donald Trump for anything. He doesn't want to catch Donald Trump to me. He is running for VP or running for chief of staff or something where he will be the guy anointed by Trump in 2028 to to succeed him. Nikki Haley, likewise, will not go after Donald Trump. Uh, the only one who will is, well, let me rephrase, the only one who's got a chance, which is who will, is, is Ron DeSantis. Chris Christie attacks Trump nonstop, so much so that, again, it's, it's cartoonish. Uh, and, and over the top. But but the only one who will actually say, I want to catch the guy in front of us, is Ron DeSantis. The other two just rip each other, but will not actually go after Donald Trump, and I think that's very telling. Yeah, I um, I have to wonder, why is Ramaswamy doing what he's doing? And I think you're absolutely right. He wants an appoint, a cabinet appointment. Uh, he'd probably take any cabinet appointment because of his desires to rise to that level. He is bright. I don't want to downplay Oh, he is. He's his, brilliant. His, he's he, was a, he was a billionaire by the time he was before 30, I mean. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, want to, I don't want to be overly critical of him, but uh, I, I was listening to him on Megyn Kelly this morning on my way to work, and Megyn couldn't get a word in edgewise. When I'm on your show, I think I'm supposed to give you some due respect. You're the host. Now, I probably interrupt you once or twice, or maybe more than I should periodically, but generally I try to shut my mouth and let you lead your show. <laughs> Ramaswamy did not give Megan Kelly that respect today. I think that's a fair point. I, I said this, I think, in the first or second debate. Man, he needs to stop, when, especially when he goes you know, 30 seconds past the bell uh, and, and just is talking over somebody else who is, you know, whose turn it is. Or the moderator, or like you said in last in last night's case with Megyn Kelly, and I think that's uh, something that will probably come with experience if he does stay in politics beyond what he's in right now. Okay, Dr. Piper, we spent a lot of time on things that were not your column. Let's talk about Advent. You wrote about that this week. This is Advent. It's a Christian time of year. It's a time for us to remember that Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the way, the truth, and the life has come, and he is coming again. This is how we show our neighbors we truly believe. I stole that literally from your column. Do you want to uh, advance upon that? Well, it, uh, this is uh, this is an opportunity. I mean, Christmas, the Christmas season, Advent season, is a season that secular culture still recognizes and wants to celebrate. And it's an opportunity for Christians to remind everybody the confidence that we have in our worldview, in our faith, and that Advent, the Advent season, comes from the Latin word Adventus, which is coming. Well, what does that mean? Well, we celebrate the first coming of Christ, i.e. his birth, but Christians also celebrate the fact that he not only came once, but he's coming again. And we live our lives accordingly. We believe the Bible is accurate and true. We, as Orthodox Christians, believe in the primacy of Christ, that he's the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. He's my Savior and my Lord. Christians believe this stuff, and we need to act like it. We need to remember that we have the obligation to be salt and light to a culture that is rotting and dark. It's our responsibility to engage in the market square of ideas, to enter into the political debate. I don't respect anybody who stands at a pulpit as a Christian and tells us to disengage from culture, that we're supposed to keep politics out of the church. Baloney! Everything's political. 
The definition of life is political. The definition of a woman is now political. The definition of morality is now political. To disengage from the political arena is to forfeit the responsibility and the opportunities that we have as Christians to let people know why our worldview works better than all others, because it's true with a capital T. So, you know, I go back to, um, uh, I'll just quote, uh, Francis Schaeffer's quote too long, so I'll go with my briefer quote that I used in concluding my column. It's from Abraham Kuyper, who was the prime minister for the Netherlands at one time. He was a politician. He was the prime minister of his country. And he is the one who has the iconic phrase that says, our obligation is to reclaim every inch of creation for Christ and his kingdom. Every inch of art, of the sciences, of politics, of education, of political commentary, of, of communication. Every inch of creation for Christ and his kingdom is to be reclaimed because of Advent. He came once, and he's coming again. This is the beauty of the Christmas season. Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful reminder, and uh, and I'm so glad that you did write that. And and I want to I would I would follow up on it if I didn't want to talk so much about your other column this week, your Ask Doctor E advice column. Uh, and we've got about four minutes left for that. Dear Doctor E, with all the turmoil in our world, it is easy to get distracted while we try to raise our children. If you could instruct American parents to do one thing and one thing only at this particular moment in time. What would it be, wanting to be a good dad from California? Dr. Piper, this is something I I hope every single parent is asking themselves and asking for help if they need to, because our children are in a very, very difficult time right now. What advice do you have for this man? I I hit this one hard. I think our, our primary responsibility right now is to remember that the foremost warning that Jesus ever gave in one of his sermons while he walked the earth was, woe unto those who cause any of these little ones to stumble. It would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. Jesus is pretty firm on this one. But what do we need to do as parents? What do we need to do as Christian leaders? We need to repent of what we've done to our children and our culture. We need to repent of teaching them that left is right and right is wrong, that men are women and women are men, and that they can change their gender. We need to repent of teaching them that two plus two is five. We need to repent of what we've done to our sons and our daughters. Repent of our narcissism, of worshiping government over God. Repent of teaching them that uh, they're the Imago dog rather than the Imago Dei. And again, an analogy I've used on your show a number of times. We're made in the image of God, but we're teaching our kids to act like they're made in the image of an animal and to define themselves by their appetites and their passions, their feelings and desires. That's garbage. And we need to repent as a culture, repent as a church, repent as moms and dads, as teachers, as principals, as leaders, and just ask God to forgive us for removing the organ of our children, removing their, their, their soul, to quote C.S. Lewis, removing the organ and demanding the function, creating men without chest, gelding the stallion and bidding him be fruitful. We need to repent as a culture of this, or I fear that God's hand of judgment is going to fall upon our culture yes, for what we're doing to each other, but foremost, for what we've done to our children. We've got a millstone tied around our neck right now, and the only way to unloose the strap of that millstone, that tie that binds us to that rock, is repent. We need to repent to God for what we've done to our kids. 
Wow, that's uh, that's powerful, uh, and it's something not a lot of people want to hear. By the way, because that's that's a lot, and it's uh, it's asking them to do something that is, you know, that again is just not comfortable for for a lot of people. But we really do. We need. I think our children deserve it. We need divine intervention, and uh, and the only way to do that, as you say, is to repent and to ask for that intervention. Doctor Piper, always a pleasure and a privilege. Terrific stuff. Um, I'm going to ask you again not to hang up here because I want to get information on Tennessee Jet. I want to talk to that young man myself, and we want to make sure that. Uh, Anybody who wants to uh, support him as he fights against the woke cancel culture that afflicts us all, that he gets that support from other parts of the country and not just in Tulsa. So we will uh, we will definitely take care of that. And as always, thank you so much for the time. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Piper. All right. So let's get that information. And by the way, I've got other information about another event. I want to remind you, March 2nd at the Galaxy in Wadsworth is the Medina County GOP, or uh, I'm sorry, this is the Republican Party. Yeah, that's right. They're called the RP, RPMC, Republican Party of Medina County, so let's say it that way. Uh, it is an evening with Dennis Prager. I will be there and will be a part of that program. Dennis Prager, of course, is the featured speaker, the keynote speaker. It's going to be phenomenal. Why am I telling you about this on March uh, when it comes up on March 2nd? Because it's almost Christmas. Buy your tickets as a Christmas gift. Dinner and VIP tickets are available right now at medinagop.org. That's medinagop.org. I'm very much looking forward to seeing you there. Buy tickets for a Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 1038. We do continue now at AM 1420, The Answer. A great conversation with Dr. Everett Piper. And we're going to follow up on Tennessee Jet here in just a bit. But right now, I want to go to State Senator Jerry Serino. Big day this week. Uh, Yesterday, in fact, as we uh, finally got uh, Senate Bill 83, the Education Overhaul Bill, if you want to call it that, out of a very important House committee. It's already been passed by the Senate, as you know. We're waiting for it to get through the House and whether or not it will get through the Blue 22, uh, which is a very, very serious uh, source of discussion that we need to have now with Senator Serino. So, Senator, first of all, Merry early Christmas to you. Happy Hanukkah as well. That starts today for all of our Jewish friends. Good to have you back on the program. How are you? Hey, Bob, I'm doing great. Uh, Best wishes to you and all your listeners as well. Thank you. God bless. Uh, Okay. So, Senator, uh, big, big uh, uh, occurrence. We did get it out of committee. The uh, uh, Senate Bill uh, 83 got out of the House committee. This is the Ohio Higher Education Enhancement Act. It was an eight to seven vote, at least one uh, supposed conservative uh, Republican voted with the uh, with the Democrats uh, against this bill. Uh, I'd like to know your reaction to that. Well, first of all, we worked very, very hard. Uh, I, along with uh, uh, the uh, House Chairman of the committee, uh, uh, Tom Young, who did a great job, uh, who's on board with Senate Bill eighty three, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were actually um, there were actually two Republicans who voted against this in committee. Uh, and, um, you know, they are both uh, Republicans and con- supposedly conservatives by looking at their campaigning that has been done in the past. And it's quite surprising to me, quite frankly, I've had discussions with both of them as we were trying to uh, get their support over the last several weeks uh, and explaining that this is a good conservative bill. It's it, uh, in uh, reform that is absolutely necessary in our 14 universities, public universities in Ohio. And um, I, I don't know what they were afraid of or what they were concerned about, but I think uh, the teachers union that have been, the faculty unions, I should say, 
that are very much against any kind of reform, and I understand why. They don't want to be touched. They want things to be just as the way it's always been. Uh, and, and why these Republicans were, uh, were taking the position along with the faculty unions uh, is really very, very confusing to most of us. Well, what, what did they say since you spoke with them? What, were, what was their explanation for why they would not want the, the Education Enhancement Act to pass in the state of Ohio? Well, I, I think uh, part of it, Bob, has got to be that I don't think they studied the bill in detail. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a 90-plus page bill, uh, but it's been out there. We passed it in the Senate in, in, in June, so the bill has been out there. And quite frankly, I've made a, a number of accommodations and changes uh, during that course, the, during that time. Uh, the bill that was passed by the Senate, by the House committee yesterday, was the what we call the Dash 11 version. So that means that there have been a lot of modifications, in some cases just plain old corrections to something we got wrong uh, in the bill. Um, so I think maybe there's, there's a component of this that people just don't understand what the bill's about. But as legislators, they owe it to their constituents to read these bills and to understand them before they take a position and vote. Um, the other part of it is <clears throat> I think there's a lot of influence uh, probably in both cases, uh, from the uh, faculty unions that exist out there, again, that are resistant to any kind of reform or change in how university life is, is conducted. Uh, and uh, as Republicans, they should not be concerned about you know, pressure from the, from the faculty unions, because the faculty unions generally, I mean, clearly lean Democrat and never vote for Republicans anyway. So um, I've had that conversation with both of the two that voted no, uh, explaining to them that from a political standpoint alone, um, even if you don't agree with or understand all the, uh, the nuances to higher education, uh, from a political standpoint, you know, I, I told them both, your constituents, I believe, want you to reform the one-sided viewpoint that is going on in our higher education institutions and you should support this bill and you should vote yes. You know, they decided in the end uh, to vote no, and they will have to answer to their voters in that regard. Well, help us um, help us make that happen. Can we please identify them? Well, the two, it's, it's public record. The two that voted no on in the committee are Gail uh, Pavliga from Portage County and uh, Jason Fazuli. I don't remember off the top of my head uh, exactly what his district is. Uh, it's in it's in central, southern central Ohio, I believe. Uh, and um, again, I've had conversations with both of them. Uh, I know Gail better than, than Jason, uh, Justin, I'm sorry, Justin Pizzulli. Uh, and uh, uh, that's who they are. And, you know, they're, they're, all of our voting records are public, public records, certainly. So um, they'll have to explain why they voted no uh, to voters who, uh, who make the inquiries. Uh, but I think, again, it's, it's very contrary uh, to, I think, what their constituencies are looking for out of a Republican conservative legislator. We're talking to State Senator uh, Jerry Serino. Uh, Gail Pavliga of uh, Portage County, last night, Tom Zawistowski, that's the reason I just wanted you to name her, because Tom put out a press, con- or, I mean, a press release yesterday uh, calling for exactly that, the primarying of this Republican who turned her back on this very strong and important and necessary conservative legislation to uh, to essentially reform uh, the woke standards, if you will, of our Ohio, Ohio uh, universities and, and institutions of higher learning. 
Um, she has she has essentially stabbed her constituents in the back. She got the support of um, uh, the Portage County Tea Party and a lot of other strong conservatives, and now she basically said, I'm with the Democrats. She was already part of the Blue 22, one of the uh, traitors who turned her back on uh, Derek Maron after pledging in the caucus to uh, to support Derek Maron as the speaker. And now here we are with Jason Stevens, which brings me to the next question, Senator Serino. It would appear, according to people familiar with the discussions on the inside, that uh, uh, Speaker Stevens has no intention whatsoever, even though this is out of committee, to bring this up for a House vote. Um, what is your understanding? Um, my understanding is, is, is different from that. Uh, I, I, would, I have no information to suggest to me that the Speaker uh, is, has a problem with this bill. Uh, the statement last week that came out from the Speaker when he met with some reporters was that he, uh, uh, he thought there were some issues with the bill, uh, subsequently, which have been obviously taken care of a long time ago. Uh, that he didn't, he wasn't planning to move forward because he didn't think they had the votes. Okay, that's different from saying that I don't like the bill or he has a problem with the bill in, in general. So um, I have not. I, I think that is not accurate at this point, Bob. Let, let I me, think, if uh, I may, if I may, Senator, I just want to read two lines from the Columbus yeah. Dispatch about this, which is why I introduced it the way I did. A controversial higher education overhaul that would restrict diversity training on campus faces dim prospects in the Ohio House. Speaker Jason Stevens said Tuesday that Senate Bill 83 doesn't have enough support to get through the House, and he's not trying to push for a vote. Now, again, that's the dispatch, so we take that for what it's worth, but that's a phrasing of this. And and I have talked to some other representatives who have uh, indicated that he is not keen on pushing this thing through. Well, I think uh, that was Tuesday, and the, the, the committee voted it out Wednesday morning, okay, the next day. Right. Uh, and so I don't even know if, if the Speaker uh, expected that the committee was going to pass this, but we've worked very hard on members to, uh, to try to get that uh, outcome of uh, eight to seven in the, in the committee. Uh, look, do you, do uh, you have any intention to, to talk to him now that it has indeed passed that committee to say, I, I, Speaker, I, I, what are you going to do? I do. I, I do. Uh, and in fact, I was waiting for the committee to do their task first right. um, before pressing the speaker too hard. But I, I think the speaker's, uh, you know, a reasonable guy. He's a conservative Republican. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, you have to embrace this bill. And, and let me give you an example. He's one of Bob, those things, anyway. You can call him a well, conservative Republican. Yeah, I'll give yeah. you one of those, but maybe not the other. But that's, uh, Th- those are let's find out. That I think, uh, those are positions that I think he ran on when he ran for his last term. But uh, and we'll, we'll see how this plays out. But uh, I, I'm, I'm expecting that when I have an opportunity to go through the bill in more detail, and he's got a lot of bills to look at, perhaps he's is not aware of all the details of this bill or is believing what is in the dispatch, which is not a good place to go. Um, but here's how bad it is right now. Senator Nikki Antonio, the minority leader in the Senate, yesterday said to the press that she does, obviously she doesn't support Senate Bill 83. She voted against it in the Senate in June, she believes that the the whole concept that our universities are very liberal, she doesn't believe that that is true. Now, I don't know what what rock you have to be living under to not understand uh, that that our universities are clearly 
biased toward the liberal viewpoint of things. Did it's anyone see the three? Forward. Did anyone see the three presidents in front of the congressional committee uh, two days ago? I certainly. Uh, Penn and Harvard and MIT. I mean, if that's not an indication of how our American university systems function as yeah. far as their left wing bias, it's. Uh, I mean, what else do you need? I mean, it's, it's seriously. I mean, it, the, the the testimony I, I saw in Congress was 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 breathtaking, and it was extremely indicative of why we need reform in our institutions. Because, in, you know, where Leader Antonio, again, came up with the view that there is not a liberal bias problem in our universities, that speaks to what we're kind of dealing with here and why there is uh, so much uh, reluctance to support this bill from the obvious parties. And, uh, you know, again, the Democrats in the, in the Senate and the House and uh, the faculty unions, of course, don't like this. Uh, many of the university presidents are very much in favor of this bill uh, and because it gives them greater tools to do a better job and to reform their institutions. Um, you know, we just we just we just have to keep fighting for this. And I, I'm not you know, I'm not giving up. People two weeks ago thought the bill was dead and yet it passed out of the committee uh, yesterday. And so, um, you know, we're, we're going to keep at this. And I plan on. Uh, you know, extending myself to the speaker to explain the bill and the necessity for the bill. Uh, we need this in Ohio. Families, Bob, families and students in Ohio want higher ed improved in the state of Ohio. And some of the goings on at Ohio State that have been reported in the Wall Street Journal and elsewhere on what they're doing with DEI, as I have said before on your show, Ohio State spends $14 million a year using 144 people that in their DEI department. That is annually, by the way. That is a lot of money, and we're already knowing that DEI is being discredited, uh, generally speaking, even by Democrats uh, around the country, including Michael Bloomberg, uh, that, that DEI is actually proving to be the opposite of what it was intended for, it's it's not uh, bringing diversity together and bringing people closer together. It is causing more racial strife than it is resolving, uh, and it is it is uh, 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 embracing victimhood, uh, and that's why we have what we're seeing today on the campuses relative to the uh, the uh, anti-Semitism that is directly coming out of the the, um, the sanctification of victimhood. And that's what DEI does, and it needs yeah. to be taken away. My bill is a moderate approach, Bob, because I'm getting I'm eliminating it as a mandatory thing. There are well, a lot of well, people. Well, first who of all, first of all, moderate moderate eliminated. is a subjective term. To the left, moderate means extreme right wing, and and I want to I want to I want to give you I want to give you some criticism of this because I want you to respond to it in the time that we have left okay. here, Senator Serino. John Plesnick, Lake County Commissioner and Associate Professor of Law at Cleveland State, in the Columbus Dispatch, and I think this is from this morning. Yes, Ohio was. Senate Bill 83 must be stopped to save free speech on campus. It is unconstitutional. Um, for my part, I call Senate Bill 83, he writes, a dumpster fire, which presents a clear and present danger to my students and to the future of Ohio. Uh, it goes on to quote, um, uh, let's see, this op-ed does in the, in the Columbus Dispatch, 
This bill limits free speech, promotes great inflation, and threatens to silence or even eliminate the endangered species known as the conservative professor. First, Senate Bill 83 is a dumpster fire that threatens to incinerate free speech. No less than fire, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education has warned that SB 83 and the speech code it would impose on public universities is unconstitutional and threatens academic freedoms. That's just yeah, some well, of the criticism yeah. in this piece. How do you right. respond? Yeah, I, I did see that. And he likes to use the word dumpster fire. He's been using that since uh, May when he <laughs> testified in the House, uh, which he's now done twice. Look, uh, he's, a, he's a faculty member at Cleveland State University. And as, in, in, you know, as, as, as expected, faculty do not like this bill. This bill creates more speech. It does not restrict speech. It creates an opportunity for diversity of opinion and diversity of thought to be not only allowed, but encouraged on our campuses here. Okay, uh, you know, Plesnick's, Plesnick's view on this is, again, I think from a faculty perspective, I would never do anything or support legislation that would allow the targeting of conservative professors. We're establishing an institute uh, on Cleveland State campus to try to promote, you know, a, a, a swing to the other side, uh, certainly a bit here on the conservative side of things, to balance things out a little bit here. Um, but look, uh, he's entitled to his view, certainly, but we've had nationally recognized scholars far more qualified and far more experienced than Plechnik testify on our behalf in the Senate and in the House who don't believe that any of those accusations are true. And these are highly experienced people who are teaching at very, very well-respected universities and are a part of very important scholarship or scholarly organizations. And so I will take their viewpoint against uh, somebody who's in, uh, maybe even an adjunct. I'm not even sure if he's adjunct or not, uh, faculty member here. Uh, uh, again, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I'm, I'm promoting free speech. So the last thing I would do would be to criticize somebody for speaking out. They're entitled to their opinion, but they're not entitled to their own version of the facts. And the facts are that Senate Bill 83 creates more speech, creates more diversity of thought, and challenges the monolithic thought environment that we see on college campuses today. Well, it is exactly that. And um, and I am very, very hopeful that Jason Stevens is going to come around. Here's what I'm going to ask you, Senator Serino. Once you do talk to him today, if you could report back what he says, I would ask him myself, but he's in no hurry to join me after uh, uh, the, way I, uh, the way I continue to discuss the uh, unjust way in which he received the Speaker's gavel in the Ohio uh, House. So if you could uh, let us know whether or not he's going to bring this to a vote or not so that we can continue to drum up support for it among those who will vote in the Ohio House, that would be very very, very helpful. I will do so. And thanks, Bob, for your attention to this important matter. It is very important. Thank you for uh, sponsoring this bill and for your uh, your ongoing efforts to get it passed and made law. Thank you very much, Senator. Thanks, Bob. Bye now. Jerry Serino joining us on AM 1420. The answer, Senate Bill 83, is extraordinarily important. If you have any hope whatsoever of your kid going into an Ohio college and not coming out, a blue-haired, nose-ringed, gauge-wearing, skinny-jean-wearing, man-bun-wearing, left-wing radical. You want to get rid of that opportunity, then you make sure 83 is passed. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. 
If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. All righty. Hour number three is underway. It's eight minutes past 11 o'clock on this Thursday. Thanks so much to my guests thus far. We had a great conversation with Dr. Everett Piper last hour. We had an even better converse. We had an even better conversation because it was about stuff directly impacting you and your kids if they're going to go to or if they already attend an Ohio college or university with uh, Senator Jerry Serino. And uh, now we want to pivot once again to another place. And talk about uh, taxes, and we're going to talk about uh, what's being done with your money and what kinds of expectations your government has of you uh, in exchange for their services. What does that mean? I'm talking about uh, the United Nations. I'm talking about uh, uh, the globalist movement. I'm talking about surrendering American sovereignty. I'm talking about surrendering American energy and putting it all in the hands of China. If you don't, if you're not watching the COP28 global climate change conference going on right now in the UAE, you should be. They're demanding a lot of things of you. And joining us now to talk about it is the president of Americans for Tax Reform, Grover Norquist, on AM 1420. The answer, Grover. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Good to be with you. So, there it's kind of bizarre, the number of things that are all kind of going on at the same time. And while they don't all intersect necessarily, Grover, from a global perspective, they are all, I think, going in the same direction. And I'm talking about less um, liberty for the United States, for American citizens, and more power to dictators like the Chinese Communist Party. That's some of what I'm getting out of the United Nations uh, and their push for uh, you know, uh, 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 fossil fuel restrictions and so forth and pushing all uh, developed countries into getting rare earth minerals from countries that are being uh, completely run, essentially, by, by the Chinese. Am I, am I overstating the threat right now? Overstating the threat? No. It's sort of how it emerges. It's part of a trend. If your mayor said, you're going to have to get rid of your car, you're going to have to get a battery car, it's going to cost you twice as much, three times as much as the car you have now, it'll take you an hour to charge it up, you can't just go to a gas station, you would vote the mayor out. out Yeah. So the mayor says, well, I can't do that. What if we got the state to do it? The state's pretty big. People, you know, don't run into the mayor at the gro- uh, to the governor at the grocery store. So things that are vaguely stupid can be done at the state level. Um, but even there, you know, they have elections and and people lose elections because they don't take crime seriously. They raise taxes. They increase an in income tax. So the gov- the states say, could we do welfare at the national level? Because people in my state 
don't like being taxed to give money to people who don't want to work. Um, but if you did it in Washington, then no one would yell at me, and I would be just distributing federal funds, okay? And I wouldn't be stealing it. You would. So they move it to Washington. But there's something so dumb, like shutting down an entire country because of COVID for a couple of years, that you saw Biden announce, next time the U.N. will do this, not us. I'm not walking into that, okay? I'm not going to do something so patently stupid that you will blame me for. I mean, it, 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 at first, people didn't blame the government because they didn't know what to make of it. After a while, they get tired of it. But um, they've decided that the next time they want to shut down the economy for global warming or for uh, somebody gets the, the sniffles, um, it's going to be some guy from the U.N. with a name you can't pronounce. Uh, and you certainly don't run into him at the grocery store because he lives in another country, uh, although he probably works in New York City and Paris and uh, Geneva, because it's more fun, but they want to move decision-making away from popular control, away from <clears throat> democratic control, away from people being able to say, wait a minute, this is not a good idea. Um, and they used to do that by sticking it in the courts, remember? For many years, even though we had Republican uh, presidents, the Democrats in the Senate uh, would not let Serious conservatives like Bork get into the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. uh, and so even though sometimes we elected Republican presidents, uh, we still had a very left of center court. And sometimes Republicans thinking they were nominating conservatives. Eisenhower got fooled. He put Warren on. He didn't know what a lunatic he was. Um, and some of these other guys. So the courts could decide um, sweeping changes you know we're gonna let everybody out of prison who didn't have their rights read to them and uh you know on and on and on different rules to make it tougher to legitimately fight crime and different rules about you know all sorts of stuff that um th that legislatures would never pass because voters would hold them accountable so they keep tr and, and all of a sudden the supreme court where they hid much of their abuses right I mean, all these things that gave all this power to the bureaucracy, these are things imagined by the Supreme Court. They're not in the Constitution. Um, and so now that those are being unpacked and tossed away, like taxing unrealized gains, you know, taxing income that you don't have, uh, uh, which is not constitutional, <laughs> that's not allowed by the U.S. Constitution, and yet it's being enforced right now. But the courts are likely to say, the new courts like to say that's, an option. So the UN is now that the now that the Supreme Court isn't the place you go to do things that you're so embarrassed by, but nobody gets to fire Supreme Court justices. So you know, they just rant and rave and put up signs saying impeach or warn, um, and but but then surrender to the power. Now they want to put it in the UN, and un unfortunately for us, that always included Russia, the Soviet Union. Now it includes communist China, too. Um, why would we ever agree to put any decision-making in the hands of the EU about anything interesting or important?
Yeah. Well, I think you. I'm sorry. Well, EU too, but the United Nations. What I meant. No, I know. I knew what you meant. But well, you know what? The EU has a big role in that too. Uh, You you hit it on the head, though. Of course, they don't want to take the blame themselves for these extraordinarily unpopular uh, things that they are doing, and they don't want to be voted out. So, hey, it's not us. It's being forced by by the international community as if we somehow don't control the United Nations. Grover, this is one of the things that bothers me the most. And let's let's bring this into your wheelhouse here with taxes. Our tax dollars are used to fund the United Nations. I think the U.S. funds 75% of all United Nations operations, uh, and not to mention housing it for free in New York. So we uh, literally are, are in control of the organization that is being used to take away our own control, if, if that makes any sense. Is that, I mean, yeah. how much sense well, does that make for us? Not a lot. Uh, we pay, I think, 20% of overall cost, but they have special uh, pockets where they, we put in money for different things, uh, refugee funding and so on. And in those, we end up paying often much more than 20%. Uh, we used to pay a lot more, and conservatives, uh, Republicans, over time said, this is crazy, we shouldn't pay more than our percentage of world GDP, world economy. And by the way, for years, Russia, like, kept forgetting to pay anything. Um, they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll be there in a moment. Uh, and, of course, Russia, Soviet Union, wanted the U.N. in New York so they could put all their spies there, right? Um, they sure as heck didn't want a bunch of Americans and Europeans wandering around in Moscow, you know, so people could see that what their shoes looked like uh, and, and realize how poor they were. Uh, compared to the rest of the world. There's that wonderful story where the Russians used to show pictures of, of civil rights demonstrations and uh, in, in, the, in in America about people being unhappy, and they would show it on Russian TV, and all the Russians said, do you see the nice shoes the oppressed people have in the United States? And they stopped showing them. Uh, too embarrassing, because if you've ever seen Soviet shoes, they were something to behold. But they... They wanted to have access to basically. They were a lot of spies through the United Nations, so, which is its own way expensive. Because then we have to have a bunch of FBI guys who follow them around all day. Uh, we ought to limit what the UN does because you know they they they, they have some nice sounding things to talk about. You know, freedom of journalism, but then that's not what they do. You know, they, we put. You know, Libya used to be in like the, one of the civil committees but how do you you know if you're trying to pretend everybody's kind of the same when they're not how do you explain to some countries you're not allowed to be on a committee dealing with the freedom of religion or freedom of speech because you don't have that in your country so you can't well we're talking Uh, about a body though grover we're talking about a body the the united nations that that has appointed iran as the chair of the uh, of the uh, uh, what is it the uh, the Human Rights Commission or whatever that entity is within it the Human Rights Council 
Iran, the nation that literally has as its pledge to wipe Israel off of the map, is funding with their money the, the proxies of Hezbollah and Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad in this war against Israel that's going on right now. They're the human right. I can't understand why the United States allows that and why the United States says, look, if you put Iran, which is the world's leading state sponsor of terror, in charge of the Human Rights Council, it's over. We're out. We are out, and you can yeah. take this someplace else. What what they have at, at the UN is we get a veto in the sort of central committee meeting, but the general assembly can vote things, and that we don't have a veto on. Uh, so it's you always certain things get decided by the Security Council, Security Council. And that's Russia, uh, China, France, England. You know, you wonder why France and England are in, but they used to be big countries. Um, and the United States. Uh, and so and that's supposed to give us a veto for anything that protects our interests. As you point out, we're obviously that our veto, there are things being decided outside of the Security Council that are important, like who runs these committees uh, and how they're going to be treated. So reforming the UN is always tough because a lot of the third world countries and the European countries think it's a nice vacation. Uh, they've got that uh, global warming meeting at the UAE and uh, one of the Gulf states in, in the Middle East yeah. uh, right now. It's it, it, a 13 days long. 13 uh, days. 13-day conference to discuss global warming and why the rest of us should you know, go back to 13th century living standards uh, while the aristocracy quite literally you know, quite literally that uh, people think you yeah. people may think that was you know uh, an overstatement no you're you're not wrong about that uh, grover first of all in the way we eat and what we eat they want to get rid of factory farming uh they don't want don't believe we should be eating beef we need to eat bugs and plants and all these uh, other kind of things all in deference to the climate uh and then of course they want to literally eliminate they stated this john Kerry, the u.s representative there stated this that they want to eliminate all Fossil fuels, all of them, which means in petrochemicals as well. The petrochemicals that are used to make plastics and to make rubber and to make virtually everything that we use. So we would be going back to a day, to a time of wood and stone for virtually everything, you know, wagon wheels. <laughs> if they literally have their way, Grover, we are not, you, when you say 13th century stuff, we're not, you know, that's not an overstatement. Yeah. It really is that serious what they are trying to do to people. Uh, try and run a hospital. That doesn't kill everybody with um, theatrogenic diseases that you get from within the hospital right. without plastics. Right. I mean, one of the things we do well is when they run those little tubes into your arms and everything with, with the plastic to get you blood or to take your blood or to put put in to keep you hydrated or put How about a pacemaker? In. You know anybody with a right. pacemaker that's not made of plastic? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, sorry, you're you're dead. We can't make that anymore. Well, in the United States, they throw that away after you use it. In Europe, Europe, they quote unquote clean them. Can you imagine how many mistakes are made that way? Oh no! Um, a lot of AIDS was spread by people reusing uh, syringes. Um, you know, you have disposable means. You don't transfer my disease to you because I was in the hospital bed or I used the same uh, tubing or the same uh, needle. You know. Um, <laughs> Disposable is a really good idea in a hospital, and 
they would, you know, you can't have single-use plastic. Well, that'll kill a lot of people. Yeah. With plastics and plastic bags, when, when in third-world countries, you put a bunch of grain or rice into a bag, the rats don't get into it, and the insects don't get into it, and diseases don't get into it, uh, which is why one of the reasons why the world's been so much more productive is because less of the food that is built rots before it even gets on a ship or gets off the ship or gets to the, to a, a supermarket uh, because plastics. Uh, you're, they're, they're trying to decon... I don't think they like us very much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think they're having fun trying to decide what we'll put up with. But, and, um, and the good news is there's some, there's some growing pushback uh, and people are skeptics. It's, they, they always want to say you're a climate denier if you don't agree with their quote-unquote solution. Um, and you can say, look, it's getting a little bit warmer. Not that much warmer. It's getting a little bit warmer. But it's gotten warmer and cooler for the last millions and millions of years. So we ought to get ready for warmer and cooler at some point that has nothing to do with uh, carbon dioxide in the air because yeah. this happened before. With our and, engines or with our yeah. engines and with our, you know, with our, with our yeah. food consumption and all of the other things that they're blaming on us, by the way. But if you just, thought it was, you know, could get warmer um, and you wanted to, you could build nuclear power plants in the United States and you would have much less carbon dioxide in the air and, our friends on the left are opposed to that. And I guess my test is I don't think the people on the left really believe either that it's getting warmer or that it's getting much warmer or that we, we're getting it warmer or that if it got warmer, it's a disaster. Because if they believed any of those things, they'd be out building nuclear power plants. But exactly. they're not. No, they because don't believe in any they, of that stuff. All they believe in is more control and more power and, and telling us that wind and solar is going to be able to power the needs of the industrialized nations of the world or all of the nations of the world is just so comical, especially, you know, when they talk about building these batteries. I have my first question to you. I brought up the rare earth minerals that are found in, yeah. in, in you know, mostly third world, world countries and, uh, and the processing of all of those minerals that are mined uh, is being done by China, which will distribute those to the rest of the world at whatever price they they want to, you know, to use the electric car batteries and so forth. And Grover, electric car batteries need to be charged. Charged by what? Electricity. Where is, unless you're going to use nuclear, as you said, electricity is produced by da, 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 two of the three major fossil fuels that they want to kill, which is coal and natural gas. So, okay, we're going to put the entire world on electric car batteries and electric everything, and and we're not going to have any ability to run the electricity? Because if you think you can spin a few windmills and throw a, throw a few solar pa- panels up there and it's going to be enough to generate electricity for the entire world's needs under those circumstances, I mean, they must think we're idiots. But you just put your finger on it. They want us to all go to electricity. They want our source to be of electricity to be something that is one terribly expensive, much more expensive than we have now, uh, and frankly, uh, not very available. Wind only works when the wind's blowing. The solar only works when the uh, sun is shining, right. and transmit, transmitting it or storing it is very expensive. Uh, I drove to work today in my normal American car behind a guy who had a stop offshore windmills and a bunch of green bumper stickers. So we must go green, but no offshore. So 
the left objects. We're going to build windmills. That's, that's what we'll do. Actually, no, they don't want windmills. And they know that they can't replace the level of energy we have with make-believe energy that, that has to be subsidized. It doesn't make enough energy to actually work. So it ha- you know, they, they have to be subsidized for anybody to do it. Um, they want us to have less energy. That's the, it's, it's not like, don't they understand we, we, we aren't building enough power plants, even green power plants? Yes, they know exactly that they aren't building as many green power plants as we need to maintain our standard of living, never mind to improve it. And they're the ones who always pretend that they care about poor people who could use not a second house like Kerry uh, or that socialist from Vermont with his third or fourth house. They'd like their first house. Yeah. And they're not going to get there because all these aristocrats don't like the peasants having nice things. Yep, that's uh, that's exactly right. Grover Norquist has got his finger on the pulse of it all. Uh, Americans for tax reform. Grover, thank you for uh, the information. Thanks for sounding the alarm. Not enough people are talking about this 13-day UN conference over there and all of the rights that we are going to surrender as a sovereign nation to this globalist body if we don't do something about it and let our leaders know that we will not accept it. Grover, thanks so much for coming I, on. I do not want to eat bugs. <laughs> Neither do I, my friend. Thank you, Grover. It's 1128. We'll take a time out here, bottom of the hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Well, this is a beauty. How about it? The House of Representatives doing something to hold Democrats accountable for their abhorrent, indefensible behavior. They're milling about on the House floor after voting to censure Representative Jamal Bowman for falsely pulling a fire alarm. On this vote, the yeas are 214, the nays are 191. The resolution is, with five present, the resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. Will Representative Bowman present himself in the well? By its adoption of House Resolution 914, the House has resolved that the House of Representatives censures Jamal Bowman, representative from the 16th Congressional District of New York, that Representative Jamal Bowman forthwith present himself in the well of the House of Representatives for the pronouncement of censure, and that Representative Jamal Bowman be censured with the public reading of this resolution by the Speaker. There it is. It is official. They finally did something to hold these uh, these idiots accountable. To me, it should not stop with censure, however. To me, it should not stop without this guy being thrown in a D.C. gulag the way January 6th protesters were and are, many of whom are still there right now. They're being held in those gulags without trial for interrupting an official proceeding. That's what many of them have been charged with. Jamal Bowman, by pulling that fire alarm during a crucial vote, attempted to interrupt with an official proceeding. He did it knowingly. He did it intentionally. His bullcrap excuse fell flat as soon as the video became available. He claims, well, you know, I, I thought it was how you opened the door. The door was locked. I was trying to get down there for an important vote, and the door was locked. So I pulled this thing thinking it would open the door. 
No, you didn't. Number one, you might be a Democrat, you might be an idiot, but you're not that much of an idiot. You know that a fire alarm is a fire alarm, especially when the video shows you walking over and knocking over two signs that say, this is an emergency fire exit. And that if you pull the alarm or pull that, uh, pull that lever, the alarm will sound. You knocked those signs over, then you walked over, pulled the fire alarm, and immediately scampered away. If you thought it was going to open the door, you would have pulled it and stood there and waited for the door to open. But you didn't because you knew it was a freaking fire alarm. Why? Because you're older than two. I, I think most three-year-olds would look up a fire, fire alarm, a red fire alarm, especially where it says, you know, uh, pull 202 to sound alarm, and be able to figure out, yep, that's going to sound a fire alarm. So they censured Jamal Bowman, much to the chagrin of the dumbest human being. Well, I don't know. That's a fight. We should put a 64-team NCAA tournament bracket together filled with idiot Democrats to determine which of them is truly the dumbest to ever hold a spot in the United States House of Representatives. It would be very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. I mean, I could go to the Hank Johnston card. I could go to the... um, I could go to the, um, um, uh, what's her name, uh, oh, for crying out loud, uh, Sheila, Sheila Jackson Lee card. I could go to the Eric Swalwell card. I could go to a number of these. Uh, but AOC is probably going to be a top seed in that tournament bracket. New York Republicans are so unfocused and so unable to make people's lives better that they've decided to bully their colleague. That's what today is about. They're wasting our time. They're wasting the country's time over some petty what rises to censure. I mean, truly, these arguments that are being made here, what's next? Jaywalking? She is honestly comparing jaywalking to a sitting United States congressman pulling a fire alarm in the cannon building with an intention of evacuation so that the vote would be stalled? She's really doing that? This is this is ADC. I called her AOC out of respect, but she is Alexandria Damasio Cortez. That's the reality. Uh, and Jamal Bowman, yes, has been censured. He will, unlike Sharia Talib, who was also censured by the um, uh, by the House, she, he will have to present himself in the well and stand and listen to the condemnation of his colleagues publicly for the world to watch. So. It's a good start, I suppose. But the idea of these people defending him when it is completely indefensible and on video and showing exactly what he tried to do, to me, he ought to be in a gulag. Okay, um, AC is uh, waiting in Cleveland to talk about Pearl Harbor on this December 7th. AC, go right ahead. Yes, Bob, real quick. In remembering Pearl Harbor, I am going to be doing, I'm going to be co-hosting a show tonight with Paul Schiffer on on the sister station, 1220 a.m. At 7 o'clock, from 7 to 8. And I'm going to be co-hosting with uh, J.C. Hawkins and Paul Schiffer, and we're going to really bring out some stuff uh, behind the scenes of what happened before Pearl Harbor. So, uh, if you're interested... Can you give me, can you give me, yeah, give me a little teaser when you say some, some, some stuff, expose some stuff behind the scenes. Give me an example. Okay, well, I used to work for a company that made the mobile radar unit in Pearl, that was used on Pearl Harbor, they caught the squadrons coming in, and they reported it to the airbase, and the airbase refused to acknowledge the warning. Warning. 
It was a mobile radar unit. Wow. And, yeah, the squadrons came in. We also broke the Japanese code. We knew that they were going to attack Pearl Harbor, okay? And so um, myself and JC and Paul are going to bring this out tonight. All right. I don't know if I will say it's okay, because I haven't heard it yet, but I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say. So so I appreciate you uh, calling and th- letting us know about that. If people want to tune in and listen, thank you for the call, AC. I'll say this in response. Without getting into any of those things that I am not familiar with that he's going to talk about, I will say uh, what I said at the top of the show. Actually, I think it was the top of the second hour. Um, those of us who lived through 9-11 have always said we will never forget. Those of those who lived through Pearl Harbor said the same thing. Well, most of those folks are gone now. Have the younger generations forgotten that which... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 